I need to put a microphone on. Schoolboy error. Hello and welcome to IRC Book Club. Lauren, I believe we're on, I think, is it episode number 23? Five. 25. Have we done 25 of these, Mike? Before we start, do you know what I want to say is something I've noticed is we are developing a bit of a groundswell of support now for this show and some of the social media we're doing. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that's supporting us. Um, it means a lot. It's been a bit of a surprise, um, but it's great. Thanks. Anyway, we're on chapters 14, 15, and 16 of um, Objections by Jeb Blount. And I will let Michael kick off today's proceedings. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, should we have some titles? Yeah, go on then. Michael, this is the last of our get-togethers on Jeb Blount. We've got three chapters to talk about. We do, yeah. What do you want to say? I'll I I tell you what, we'll, I'll do a final wrap-up on the book, my final summary on the book at the end of it. Uh, we'll go through each of these chapters now, obviously. I've got to say, it's not a criticism of the book, it's a criticism for us of this format, really, which is quite difficult to take notes of a, what, of a lot of what Jeb says. Because I feel like when I read it, I go, just nod my head. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And it's a good book. You know, I agree with a lot of what the man says. I thought, chapter 14, I thought there was real irony that um, unless commitment is made, there are only promises and hopes, but no plans. A quote by Peter Drucker. Um, yes, it did make me chuckle. And I thought, opening, I, quote I thought that was great. And then he, and then the next thing actually I put was he talks about a groundbreaking book, The Lost Art of Closing by Anthony... Iorano. 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 So I think at, at some point, you know, we, we maybe uh, uh, ought to consider that as a book. But then I, I jumped through, I read the book and I jumped through to page 163, where I thought to myself, the five-step objection turnaround framework. And for those of you that know me pretty well, what I really like is a good process. And I was glad to see that Jeb created a process that we could look at potentially applying and following. And I, I don't know if you read this, but I like the five-step buying commitment objection turnaround framework. Good. Well, we'll get into that in a minute then. So he opens up, doesn't he? One, page 159. Salespeople seek out closing techniques in the same fervour as crusaders on a search for... Oh, I'm not convinced they do. Yeah. I mean, I was talking about the book, not my yeah. thoughts on salespeople, um, really. And then he does talk about this Anthony Anarino guy. Uh, uh, and I like the fact that point he's making I think here is the act of closing is not a single point in time but rather a series of micro commitments that occur throughout the course of the sales process by asking for and gaining next steps is saying hang on fair play and I think that you know the point that it, it expands later on in the chapter is actually you want to overcome objections do the job right earlier on and then you won't get as many objections it's pretty much the, the top and bottom of it and so things I've picked up before we get to the five steps um, it, it says, being an effective closer, making the case for change, gathering the ammunition you need to minimise objections and gaining the leverage to negotiate effectively requires excellent. Yes, I mean, he's obviously right, isn't he? And we've talked already on a few occasions about, actually, the best way of handling objections, not getting them. It is, but then Jeb says you've got to go look for them. Yes, but he's also saying, if you're doing the job right, 
all the way through. Actually, well, that's the underlying problem, isn't it? Why is the presenting problem never the presenting problem? Because they're objecting to you, not it. Yeah, and often, but often, if you think about it, you often get objections because you've shortcutted something earlier on. Often, an objection is sometimes. Of, often, for and he talks a little bit in the book about, for example, if you haven't got your discovery right, don't be surprised if you end up with an objection because you didn't quite level of depth you needed to. Sometimes, for example, if you, it's why we interview candidates and why we won't, meet, won't work with clients we can't meet. Because actually, that little bit of... Well, that's just needs analysis, though, isn't it? That's yes, what but that's about. what he's saying, discovery. Mm. That, that, that quality of discovery is why we don't... You know, a lot of people in recruitment, you meet a lot of people who were recruiters, don't you? And they go, I was in recruitment, I hated it. That's not something yeah, that happens I agree to with us. That. Why? Because... Actually, we do good discovery so the matches are right, so the candidates don't come out of the interviews going, oh, I'm not. Candidates don't come out of the interviews saying, oh, yeah, it's okay, but are actually thinking, I, I can't. Yes, but that's a different thing, though, isn't it? No, it's not. Because well, it if you're saying to a client, if you're doing a really great discovery with a customer and you've understood it well enough and then you've pitched accurately, Selling a solution, you get less objections. Why? Because you did your discovery right earlier on. And I think that's what he, the point he's making is actually a key part Why of the Why didn't you write that then? Because he, he's putting out a book for the publisher and keeping publishing. Why books. didn't you just write that? Because that's not what I read. That's what he said here. Um, he does rant a little bit here. Because I like how the book's, book's written at large. But I just think. Times is a bit verbose, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, he sort of he pad, he, there's a bit of padding, isn't there? Then, actually, a little plug for more insight read my book, Sales EQ. Um, and I put here for me, that's the whole point of the book. What is the whole overcome your objections before you get your objections? And then I know, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, but you, I yeah, you yeah, love yeah. the process. The, the po bit, point you? of the book is that the point of the book? Mm, I don't think it is. Because, you know, we're into a different conversation here that isn't quite the book, actually. We're into our different opinions on objections. Okay. Which isn't covered by the book. So I'm not... So, so I'm mindful of actually sticking to reviewing the book rather than give my opinion. But we're at a point at which I'm going to give my opinion. Here's my opinion on objections, right? And I don't know how Jeb covers this, but 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 I, I think what happens with, with selling is... Selling's like this perfect science where uncover needs, sell perfectly to the needs... It's all perfect. But actually, we make these perfect uh, judgment calls with imperfect information. And actually, what really happens is, doesn't matter how good you are, how good you are at eliciting needs, or how good you are at understanding your client, you're not going to understand them to the level of perfection that you want. And then further because on down the line... There'll always be something hidden. There'll always be something that you don't know about. And then further on down the line, you are then going to get an objection. That happens every single time in every single sale. Yeah, and if, and it, if doesn't, it doesn't happen... Wrong. The client don't buy it anyway, so there's an objection you didn't there's uncover. Wrong. Yeah. And I think that with Jeb's book, what he should also be doing as part of it, and what a good objection trainer should be doing, is they should be saying, listen, this is a perfect plan, it's a perfect framework, but listen, you're going to get hit by an objection, here's how to handle it. And I don't think he says that. Well, I, I, my complaint is, I don't feel, you know, the relate, so it, He's got this five-step process, and, and and I mean it's a it's a good process. I yeah, like to a be process. Fair, maybe we should have ex 
talk to Lauren about this before we kick off so that Lauren could have put a graphic up on it. But you've got this five-step process. Relate, well, it's a, well, it's a continuum, isn't it, of actions? Yeah. Relate, isolate and clarify, minimise, ask and fold. And what he talks about is acknowledge and relate to the objection, uh, isolate and clarify, which is ask questions to isolate the real objection, remind, minimise, which is remind the stakeholder of their problems, pains, threats, or guesses you've collected, ask, ask again and assume the yes, uh, and then fall back, offer an alternative lower perceived risk. Um, so for me, I like this, and as I got more into it, I got more into it, if that made sense. But my initial comment when I saw it as a framework was, I just don't feel like he's talking enough about exploring the objection itself based on my own training, which is the presenting objection is never the presenting objection. But, but he does get into that a little bit later on. Well, that's, that's your problem with selling, though, isn't it? There's not necessarily one framework that works perfectly. No. So I think, you know... I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's better than listen, pause, clarify. No, it's just he's created some sort of semi-IP... That he can use it's not as good as listen, listen, pause, clarify. All he's done is listen, pause, clarify, you know, and add a bit on the end. The other thing is, I don't know, have you ever read Awaken the Giant Within by Anthony Robbins? Yep. So there's a great chapter in Awaken the Giant Within on beliefs. It's brilliant, that book. It's like wading through treacle, but once you get to the other end of it, it's awesome. Yeah, you persevere with it. It's a fabulous piece of work. Um, so there's a great chapter in it on beliefs. And he talks talking about, about the table? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And what he says is a belief... So the belief is tabletop, isn't it? The belief and, is the tabletop. And then the legs are the things the, the belief legs is founded are the on. That are the, correct. And uh, I've often looked at objections like a belief. I mean, an objection is a belief. Yes, it is, yes. And it doesn't uh, matter whether it's a real belief or a red in belief. All you've got to do is knock the legs away. And you... Correct. And that, but and that's a point about what he's... Correct. And I think what he's doing here is, I think this is a good book, but I feel like it's written a little bit for a lowest common denominator sales guy. I don't agree with that. I, I think, I think he he glosses. He 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 doesn't. I tell you what he does. It's like you're looking at the outside of the house without being able to see what's inside. He just glosses over the top of it, and yeah, you don't and, understand it. And part of that is cunning because he wants actually what he really wants. And fair play to the guy. In the same way, you know, I've nearly finished a book and it's going to come out. What do I want that book to do? I want that book to make customers ring. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, I hope it's useful, and I really hope it's a useful piece of content. But equally, why have I written it? Because I want customers to know that uh, IRC know what they're on about in recruitment, that we're uh, a, a slightly refreshing face in the market, and that if you ring us, you'll get to deal with people who know what they're doing and we will look after you right. Um, and in the same way, our guy's written a book. Why? Because actually he owns a company called Sales Gravy, and he wants Sales Gravy to get a ring in, for somebody who wants to understand more about what he's talking about here. I, I agree with that. So, but let's look at his process. The question is, and this is something called a closed question, is that a framework you would give to somebody? What, if we, had a, if we hired a new starter next new week? New starter, phone bashers, go on, book appointments. Your role, sales development rep for Inwood Revenue. Got would you say, me use that? No. No, nor would I. Answer. That's the long and short of it. I feel it. But it's still a good book. Yes. All right. Next And that's my is, point about it. You read the book going. If a yes, client said good. to you, I'm Ooh, going to buy yes, some training good. off sales gravy, well, would you say bad idea? No, I wouldn't. I'd say good idea. I, 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 I wouldn't advise it to be a good thing to do. Really? I'd, I, if a client asked my honest opinion is to buy sales training, I would suggest that what they should actually do is have somebody 
come through the door, sit down with their salespeople, model their salespeople, and then design a piece of sales training that filled in the gaps that they had holes in. I think sales training is not a one-size-fits-all solution. I think the sales books aren't a one-size-fits-all solution at all. What you think every company needs, and he, to be fair, does in the book talk a lot about designing specific sales models for each company. I think that's he what... He does allude to that. Fair enough. Well, I must have glossed over that. Oh, I've been very thorough in my early start this but, morning. Uh, but I've, not, I've not, not been thorough. Now I've read it. I've read every page of it. But when I look at my notes, I think, yeah, yeah, good, good. But it's never grabbed me. Yeah. And then he, uh, the, the, I like that some of the talk about isolating objections here. Um, what page are you on? So, so I'm on page 167 now, okay. I believe. I would imagine that my PDF version relates directly. No, isolate, clarify, yep, yeah, absolutely, okay. yeah. Um, well, actually, look, I just put clarify next to it. Sure, that's same as clarify. Yeah, so he puts... Um, what he's basically saying is, you. I, what he talks about is isolating and clarifying the objection. Now, my concern with this was, he puts the most destructive behaviour when dealing with the objections is what he calls pump and pounce. I like that. Pump and pounce. Good that. It's, it's alliterative... And well, it's explanatory. Yeah, what he's talking um, about is not getting immediately combative, isn't he? Yeah. Despite with the objection, and I like that. This is the tendency to pounce on the first objection on the table without knowing if it is the only objection, the real objection or the most important objection. Isolating reveals the true and pressing concern. Bang right. My concern here is, um, it, and, and he gives an example, for example, Mr. Client, with a decision this important, it certainly makes sense that you take time to consider all the ramifications. Other than this, though, what else is bothering you about our proposal? That's all right. I like it. It's better than not going into the objection. Yes, yes, yes. But for me, it felt like a sidestep. And I think there are much more elegant ways of isolating an objection, notably just listening and reflecting. Oh, you know, you took the words out of mouth. Just sitting there and saying, why? Well, even just repeat it back to the client and shut up. Yeah, exactly. And, just, and let them explain to you the objection in more depth. And then just and then and then repeat that back to the client and shut up, and then let them explain that. And before you know it, they've either a overcome the objection for themselves, because you, they've they've listened to themselves ranting about an objection that's probably not that right, right, or b you've got enough information to play with. Yes, so I'd agree. I agree. I just wasn't that into that. Uh, and for me, I looked at, for example, chunking up and chunking down a little bit from the, from the NLP model. But you know, that's a lot of that is training I've invested very heavily in. Um, and then he says, salespeople bloat when they begin pitching before isolating disruptive emotions delude them into believing that controlling a conversation requires talking. It doesn't. Person asking questions is always bang right, Jeb. Fair enough. It's and interesting that, isn't it? Because when, uh, sometimes clients will come here to do uh, interviewing. And obviously we never sit and watch the client, but I do make a lot of cups of tea and walk past the interview room. <laughs> and uh, I always think to myself, if the candidate's doing the asking, the candidate's doing well. The candidate's doing the talking, the candidate's yes. doing badly. Yeah. Because I think there's this sort of invisible sort of uh, power battle in a selling situation, interview situation, whatever you want. If you're asking the questions, you're in control. I think some of the most effective salespeople we work with are often very introverted, you know. Um, Quiet introverts that listen. I'll tell you what they are, they're thoughtful. Intent. Thoughtful introverts. Yeah, thoughtful. They might be introverted as a consequence of it, but they're very thoughtful. Yeah, uh, 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 and uh, uh, you know, we often look at sales people as this archetypal extroverted. Well, it's interesting because we've been training guy. somebody this week, and her uh, definition of what good looks like has changed this week. Yes. 
I said to her, what do you reckon? You know, a bit of a wrap up. And she went, at the start of the week, I thought I was looking for this. Now, no, I'm not. Now, no, I'm looking for X. Yeah. But do you know what? I just, got, I, do, I just got a bit bored of this book. I've got to be honest here. Page 172. We, Again, all I can do really is sort of read it and nod. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's one bit I Loads highlighted where, I, where I felt you finally hit the nail on the head, but you could have said it earlier. The secret to getting past objections is not, and this is just reiterating what we've just said. The secret to getting past objections is listening leads to the outcome you seek. It helps you seek below the surface and truly understand what is holding you. Absolutely nothing more critical to getting past buying commitment objections than asking great clarifying questions. I could have said that ages ago, mate. Yep. Um, and then I didn't like this minimise thing. Maybe I didn't get it because I was up really early reading it. I don't know. But I, I, I sort of just... I read it a while ago, this book, actually. But about. what I did like was the pocket full of yeses. And then he starts talking about, uh, for example, um, deadlines and the importance of deadlines, which I thought was really useful. Let's get it right. We're in deadline season now, aren't we? Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. It's great. Love it. And there are deadline season. And he's talking about... Uh, I love deadlines. If they don't have a deadline, I do my level best to get them to commit to deadlines during discovery or demo. Likewise, especially with transactional and short cycles. Anything that creates urgency is kryptonite against status quo and safety bias. I wrote here, it's why we love Christmas. Because um, it creates deadlines for deals. Yeah, Y2K did. Oh, God, GDPR yeah. did. Yep. You know, the, the IT industry trades off the back of it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, he, and then he sort of goes down a very different route of talking about leveraging social proof to handle your objections. So he's sort of coming uh, at it from a from a, a whole load of different focus, really, and getting and using testimonials and being and, and being socially proven to, in many respects, pre-handle the objections. And there's quite a lot of scripting stuff. Is there's, lo there's loads. There's loads. And then of we're scripting. on to chapter fifteen, which is bending win probability in your favour. You with me? Page yeah, yeah. one eight three. That's right. It says effectively we use a judgment of the crowd as a substitute for our own which reduces the cognitive load, making decisions in complex environments easier. Now, just going back, this is still in chapter 14 about Where am I using social... Where you're on 176. Then. Yeah, yeah, about using social proof. It, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, we've seen a rise on online stuff like review and stuff like that. Do you ever look at those reviews and the Amazon model of... Well, it's funny, you know, we went on holiday, on an all-inclusive holiday. Jet 2, pay attention if you're watching. And we got to the hotel and there were flies all over the food and I didn't eat in the restaurant. And we ended up eating out every day. And we used TripAdvisor religiously. Yeah, TripAdvisor. And yeah. We, we went to, you know, maybe it's pathetic. Maybe I should be reading The Lonely Planet being more sophisticated. But we, we went to, into this little square in the village. And actually, what did we do? We used social proof. Social proof, yeah. Um, you know, I'm quite a strong-willed, sort of fairly decisive fella, but I just took other people's opinion and went, right, that's where we're eating tonight. And then the next thing, the last thing I noticed of chapter 14 was, it's a good idea to practice and role-play all the potential objections you may get Hurrah. in advance. I mean, he's absolutely 100% right. So right. And that's what I mean about the book. He's 100% right, but none of it has actually grabbed me, and I've thought, oh, I'm definitely going to do that. I think to myself, I think I'd do that anyway already. And I think a lot of the guys we deal with do it anyway already. Role-plays are an interesting topic, because actually... The candidates uh, hate it in an interview situation. Well, as, as, as you know, I've, I've, every day this week and for the last two weeks, I've spent 20 minutes on my book. Yes. And actually, I'm at the stage of the book where we're into second interviewing. Don't tell the clients to do role plays. That'll kill all the candidates. <laughs> it won't. But and, you know I'm, I'm, and, and the chapter I'm writing at the moment is to role play or not to role play. And actually, part of the problem is candidates 
No, I say it a bit tongue-in-cheek because a lot of the good candidates don't. Well, if you're a really top boy and you know that you've got top-class selling skills... You think, oh, go, great. Yeah, right, role play, okay, bring it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas it's normally the ones that haven't got much training or don't practice or don't covet or value their selling skills. There's some candidates so, look, look down the note, oh, that's a bit... It's a role-play, it's not a real situation. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at some of the clients that we've got, you know, we had that big... Um, CPM, EPM vendor, whatever they are, that kind of thing. I had a second interview there with a the guy. Let's get it right, he's quite a senior guy. He did a role play. Yeah. I was at a client yesterday in London who does role plays. Does he? Yep. And uh, from What, in the, the interviews? Yes, in final interview. I didn't know that. Uh, from his office, you can see most of London, including London Bridge. Yeah. So they're pretty successful. So who's the idiot? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, so chapter then, 15. Uh, there was a really interesting point here. Uh, and you were just talking about, you, you made a really interesting point earlier about sales is a game of decision-making with incomplete information. And, and he then says, in chess and poker, every move, every hand has a win probability. It's a simple matter of mathematics based on what's the table or the board. Calculating the win probability of each move is how professional gamblers and chess masters play and win the game, which is. And actually, I think there's a really good segue here to a potential book that we could read, um, which is a book by a lady called Annie Duke called Thinking in Bets. Right. Which, if you think about it, good salespeople do. You and I calculate probabilities all the time, don't we? Uh, I obviously love this page, clearly. I've written loads about yeah, yeah. it. You, you, you know, calculating, we look at deal probabilities. If a candidate's got three things on the go and the client's got three things on the go, then at best case scenario, it's a nine-to-one shot. It's, it's, I often look at it that way. And then I'll look at it as a nine-to-one shot. Then I'll multiply that by the amount of of the value well of the, the simple math well, that's, that's what the pipeline exactly. items were. exactly 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 so uh, but the book that i was going to recommend and maybe we'll give thought to don't know is called thinking in bets by annie duke which is all about making decisions like a pro poker player could i add something into the mix though yeah that is unusual because i'm going to disagree because for those of you who know me I'm, I'm a man that loves a bit of maths actually so i think very simply in probability and um Probability is, is also how ultra-high performing salespeople play the game of sales. And, and as you've rightly said, we look at who we're competing against, you know, how many people we're competing against and all the rest of it. There's a massive big fat butt. Go on. The massive big, big fat butt is I'm a better salesperson than the people I compete against. Well, that's part of the calculation. See, I don't think it is. Of course it is. No, because sales is so beautiful in terms of there's one winner... And there's lots of losers. Normally, yeah. There's one so, winner so, and so several. Let, so let's say you're competing. Let's say you're competing against. Well, this would never be us, really. But let's say you're competing against six other suppliers for a deal. I'm better than each of the individual six. If each of the individual six is a five out of ten, that means they've got a score of thirty. If I'm a score out of seven, seven out of ten, I've got seven versus their thirty. But it's not seven versus thirty. It's seven versus five. Beat you. Seven versus five. Beat you. Seven versus five. Beat you. And what surprised me about Jeb was, Jeb didn't say, it's all about probability, but actually, are they as good at overcoming objections as you? Correct. if they're not, you're going to beat them. But surely you would factor that in into your probability calculation. Well, you can't, can you? Because that's like saying, uh, I won well, the lottery. it's lot all fag packet maths anyway. That's like saying, I won the lottery on uh, Saturday, I'm just less likely I'm going to win it this Saturday. Nope, but that they're not connected. Yeah, it's an absolute... Statistically. It's, it's, mathematically, there is no... So I've either got the best solution... Roll again. So I've either got the best solution or I haven't. It doesn't matter how many people compete against because my solution is the best fit to the client's needs. Yeah, all right. So then, 185, he, he, he talks about fanatical prospecting. 
And under that, he says, for salespeople, emotional control begins and ends with a full pipeline. When your pipeline is full, you feel more confident. You know what I wrote here? Can I said, you... I thought, you said this a lot now. You are right, but you've said it a lot. Yeah. And he says, when he salespeople right. hit the bottom with an empty pipeline, they get up close and personal with the universal law of need. It states that the more you need to close the deal, the less likely it is you will. When all hope for survival rests on one, two, or even a handful of accounts, win probability plummets. Couldn't be more true. There's just a swagger about a salesman with a good pipeline. Yes. Versus one with a whistle funnel, as they call it, in Millerheim and parlance. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with you. I and think the it's, pressure, I th that, that pressure is debilitating, and it makes people snatch, scratch, think unclearly. And there's also, he talks about this in his five-step process about taking it away from the client, and he talks about that earlier in the book. Mm. If you've got no pipeline, you ain't going to take a deal away from You've got a fat pipeline, you're going to say, all right, tell you what, Mr. Customer, let's not bother. And, and wait for the customer to go, whoa, 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 there's no need for that. Do you know, it's funny, I've been a salesman, obviously, a lot of people have sold to me over the years. I've never known anybody do that to me. What, walk away from you? Yeah, yeah. I had one guy years ago who was very yes, naughty, this did. person. Yes, you have. Which, who was that? The fella that sold us uh, outsourced marketing that never got us any leads or generated any revenue whatsoever for us of any sort. Um, and if anything, probably damaged our reputation in the market where the guy came in and I was a bit distracted and he was like, listen, boys, if you're not going to engage with me, I... Yes, actually, I forgot about him. And fair play to him, he had a real swagger about him. He then proceeded to sell us a pack of crap. Yeah. But... But he obviously sold a lot of crap to a lot of people. But he was selling a lot of crap to a lot of people. I forgot about him, actually. So... Because I once remember and we dealing spent with... Some money with him. We spent some dealing good with, money dealing with him. With a big security vendor with a man called John, who pretty much threatened me. <laughs> Do you remember him? Oh, him, yeah, almost violence. Yeah, 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 it was just ridiculous. And I went, yeah, all right, whatever. Whatever, don't offer him the job then. Yeah, don't offer him a job. He said, Do you want me to phone the candidate now? I said, yeah, feel free. Feel free to phone the candidate. Tell me you've been pulling his leg and wasting his time for the past six weeks. Good for you. He went, ah, oh, F off and put the phone down. And then rang the candidate and offered him a job. Offered him a job, candidate started. <laughs> but, 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 you, but why did you... But I didn't do that out of fullness of pipeline. I did that out of my, my thought process of just, I'm just not letting you push me around. I don't care who you are. But you, but you weren't letting him push you around because your pipeline was good. Possibly, yeah. But I do agree with your point you on that. You weren't subservient it's... about it. Um, and then, actually, on page 186, I have highlighted what I believe is the most important paragraph in the book. They just get up in the morning and bang the phone. So he says, fanatical pro... Yes. I actually wrote, this is the most important paragraph. Yeah, you know, I put, I put a box around Fanatical well. prospectors carry around a pocket full of business cards. They talk at strangers in doctor's offices, at sporting events, in line to get coffee, in elevators, at conferences, on planes, on trains. They get up in the morning and bang the phone. During the day, they knock on doors. In between meetings, they prospect with email and text. At night, they connect with and engage prospects on social media. When they're tired, hungry and fed up with rejection, they make one more call. They don't whine like babies about not having enough leads or cry at the coffee machine with all the losers about how they don't understand why no one is buying today. They don't blame the sales manager, company, products, services or economy. They get moving, take responsibility and own their territory. Generate their own leads and through hard work, determination and perseverance, their own luck. Ultra high performers are acutely aware of the dangers posed by an empty pipeline. They understand how it makes them vulnerable to rejection and increased resistance. Downward spiral that wrecks their performance. Everything rests on prospecting pipeline a full pipeline equals emotional control and power and for me that's that is the most important paragraph in the book do you reckon he should have started with that yes problem is he wouldn't have really had a book 
talk about. But for me, I just thought that paragraph is the whole book. Because uh, actually... But actually, the book's about objections, not canvassing. Yes. So it should, you know. Uh, and then I go to one page... One, then I went to page 188. Also, on 187, he talks a lot about emotional discipline and the stinginess at an emotional level. And I did wonder if maybe um, there's a really good book I, I think you'd love by a guy called Jocko Willink, who's an ex-Navy SEAL, called Discipline Equals Freedom. And maybe actually going down a rabbit hole of emotional discipline as a potential. Depends if we can get the author on the show, because we're getting some authors on the show. We are doing very, very well. We've the, Probably the next five, six books, we've got authors on the show. If we can get the Navy SEAL on the show, I mean... You want, do you want Jocko oh, Willink? Right. Well, let's, ring, let's, let's tap Jocko Willink up, and, and if he wants to come on the show and talk about his book, then he, he, he can, but he's so, going to have to wait so, six or seven months. So there are five basic stakeholders you'll meet in all, but the simplest yeah, yeah, one page call close it. Buyers, amplifiers, seeker, seekers, influencers, coaches, rubbish. I, I was always told that a one-call close can be made to the man, who's somebody who has got money, authority, and need. Yeah, that's from your frame of reference. All oh, right, okay. Well, I'll look at somebody else's then, shall I? Not all products. You, you can't create a... Comp what you're saying is, I could ring Mark Benioff... You could ring Mark Benioff tomorrow, or you could ring, I don't know... Satya Nadella. Satya Nadella, and you could say, listen, Satya, I've got something really special here. I want to talk to you about it. And Satya would go, bloody hell, it's a great idea. I mean, send me an invoice. But does he have the power to make that decision? Of course he does. 100%. And it's a £50 million deal. And if you could actually get in the room with him, past all his gatekeepers, I bet on he's that got one a few. Call, past all the gatekeepers in the room with him and pitch to him a brilliant idea, and you could actually get him to go, right, okay, I mean, I'll roll it out and delegate it to somebody to implement. Yeah. That's your point, because yeah. he's got the money, authority, and need. He definitely has. He will tell you who he hasn't. Well, he'll tell you that he pays people to look at the budgets, etc., etc., and that it would be disempowering. You see, the objection would be, it would be, and, and you get that sometimes when you sell to a CEO and then they defer you to somebody and you think, what the hell? It's such a plausible objection there, but what kind of objection is it? Well, it's... It's a, a red herring. It's a, possibly a red herring objection. Definitely a red herring. Where you get that and you're like, hold on a minute, you're the CEO. Because most got, CEOs got, that I know... You've got the money, the authority... Most CEOs the that I know actually are people who will turn around and go it's my decision i'm going to make it i don't care what anybody else thinks i've met a few uh, over the last year or two though where i've engaged at ceo level ceo has actually where the, the objection is uh well uh that person has to work on that and they did you, you buy it no anyway so i didn't i didn't like his definition there um, um the other thing i liked about is he talks about pre-call planning yes absolutely I mean, I'm pretty meticulous with pre-call planning if I'm going to see a client. Me too, yeah. Me too. Sort of in an OCD And I thought his stage, he's got a four-stage process. The only thing he missed off there for me is I like to tell the prospect what's going to happen during the call. And he does make reference to that earlier he in the book. Yes. And well, I, he doesn't make reference to it here. Yes, he references that much earlier in the book. Here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to do this. You're going to tell me your needs. If you feel that we, we can solve your problem, then we're going to move the meeting forward at some point over the next week and it's going to go to the next stage. If you don't, I'm going to walk away and we're not going to talk again. And I love that. I'm bang up for that. Well, he didn't put that there, which I do know he references. Yes, absolutely. So these are all the factors that he's talking about, about fixing your win probabilities, isn't he? Yes, he is, yes. Um, which really doesn't have anything to do with objections. No. 
it's just a chapter in the book that's sort of a segue into other parts of his... I mean, it's all very relevant stuff. Yes. I, I wrote here on top of page 191. So basically, do the job properly and get less objections. Which okay. I've written on a couple of, time, on a couple of occasions. Murder boarding. Did you read about murder boarding, page 192, Price? Yeah, I thought it needs a better explanation. If this isn't what a bid review is. It's just a bid review, isn't it? Yeah, but why do they call it murder boarding? It's a tough bid review where, where you stand in a room and everyone rips into your deal until you've worked out every possible conceivable thing that go wrong and then worked out a plan for how, how, how you can yeah, make I mean, sure you, you've worked it it's out. It's right, and let's get right. I live, I live my life, life in a state of paranoia, as all the candidates and clients know. The clients particularly go... Mike, I think you're worried about this a bit too much now. Yeah, absolutely. You, and, and it's a great question to ask. What could possibly go wrong here now? What are the things that will stop this from happening? And then practice and run through the scenarios. I think it's a, sometimes a really you, good question sometimes. Do, to ask a do you know what's interesting? The practice and run through scenarios. In the depth of the recession, there was a man. You, that man is called Richard Gordon. And we placed him with the Programme Framework Group. Can you remember that? He's now a top boy at Microsoft, isn't he? It's uh, VMware. He went to Microsoft. Then is it? I think is it VMware now or a day? I think pretty sure it's VMware actually. Yeah. And me, you, and Richard Gordon. We rehearsed and rehearsed. We did a role play and rehearsed of the interview. I mean, One of us interviewed him. We're not just talking a bit of the recession here. This is darkest, darkest, darkest depths. Well, it was recession. so dark that he was up for doing it. <laughs> yeah, it was the dark. It was fifty applicants. Fifty. Mega applicants for every, job, every yeah. job, darkest debts, and he wanted that job, and he wanted losing. Well, he, he went there and had a bucket load of cash. So it was right. So yeah. we did a role play. Yeah. With one of us was interviewing him, and one of us was giving him advice. I can't remember which way around it was now, but that made me think of that. And you know what? If we had the time, I'd practice and run through every scenario. But you know, we don't have the time. What with every you'd help? Yes. Yeah. Or, but, or you and I'd rehearse every meeting, but. But then there's a big part of me that says a book like this should give you enough component parts that when you come up with an objection, you can pull your component part out and spit it out at the person. Pricey, just, just, just as an aside, I've just realised that the tool that I use for elbow rehab has been sitting on um, here. I wondered um, what it was. <laughs> uh, Lauren, if you just want to get the camera to uh, this particular bit. So for what it's worth, if anybody's been wondering, I use it to rehab um, golfer's elbow like that, you see, um, and that's what it's for. And it wasn't meant to be in the cameras that I'll get with it. Um, chapter 16. So it's chapter 16. I mean, you know, there's, not, there's no notes. It's just a little pep talk, basically. Isn't it just? It's a pep talk of come, buddy. Just keep your chin up and you can do it. I did like, yes, chin up, come on. Stop that's worrying about, I mean, it's nice. There was, there was one bit I highlighted. To reach your goals, climb a career, or build a successful business, achieve your income targets, and accomplish anything you want, you must pay a price. That price must be paid first, and there is no greater price than the price It's all of nice. It's like a speech out of a film. Yes. On any given day, you can win or yeah. you can lose. You expect to see, what's his name, riding up and down in front of a Al line Pacino. of men. Line I, of men with his kilt I wrote, on. I wrote, hang in there, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a nice thing. I've got to say, I was glad I'd finished the book, though. Yes, I, and I got through this. Don't, you know, he then he sort of quotes lots of different people who've had their ass kicked in life and still made it like Ray Kroc and all the rest Colonel of Sanders and, and they, they, they didn't make it till they were 60 and all that good stuff and thanks very much you've managed to hit your word target with the publisher and the publisher well done so overall Mike objections by Jeb Blount when we're done we're going to move on to talk about our next book aren't we do you know what I liked it I thought it was good 
I, I like books that... I, I'm not bothered for the flowery stuff around it. I just want the fact. And I know that's my own fault, but I thought it was a good book. Uh, I, if I had somebody who was starting on Monday, uh, would I give them that book to read? Or if they told me they were reading that book, do I think it would be a good thing for them to do? Yes, I do. I think if you're a season year season sales exec, the type of which we place, I'd be a bit disappointed if you didn't know 90% of it, really. If you didn't have 90% of this in your kit bag, I'd think, oh, come on, you should do. But maybe I am fortunate to work with people that I'd expect this to be the case. Comes back to the argument that we have every week on the show, which is the candidates that you work with work in markets more mature, their salesmanship has to be and therefore your expectation of what they are and aren't doing later. I know the, the guys that I've sent to interviews this people, week are doing most of this. Whereas in the market I operate in, the two, in business, in big data and analytics, it's such a na still such a nascent market. Get away with being a lesser sales pro than you can in the markets you operate in. In healthcare, the nature of the market is such that you can get away with being an even lesser sales pro, but the, but but the onus is on you to be incredibly knowledgeable slightly about different, the though, process and the Sli game. So, um, because you've got quite a lot of clinically led deals, deal salespeople in your uh, sector of health, and a lot of the skill is in a different place. It's in understanding a lot of the skills. The it's, it's, it's empathy, empathy, but it's Former also nurses and stuff also like that. about in the NHS about understanding where the how how to make. How to help the clients find the pot of money, how to help the clients. So get, yes, I agree with that. How so it's to create a different business cases. Thing. And then, actually, often in a lot of those deals later on, there is no opportunity to influence. The whole governmental process of procurement is designed to stop a good salesman from coming in and overcoming an objection. Designed for that. Now, actually, Jeb would say, nonsense. Understand the objection before it comes. Make sure you've nailed it before the tender came. Yes, up. yes, I agree. And, it, and there is Ooh. that argument. But, but I did I, like. I did like it. I thought it was all right. I'd give it a seven out of ten. Favorite. Uh, uh, did it, has it made you think about your objection handling at no. all? So there's not been one moment where you thought, do you know what? I'm going to really up my game. Because sometimes if all you've got out of the book is, do you know what? I'm going to really start thinking about my objections. I'm going to start thinking about my listen, pause, my clarify. I'm going to get back to my basics on objection handling recognize that I'm in a, no in the I, I was objections. very fortunate that irrespective of what I thought of Howard Jackson they, they trained us very well in those things yes it was good training that and bear in mind prior to that I, I sold double glazing right it's quite okay. classic that so I think a lot of it stayed with you but for me the only the thing I've got out of it is it's got me thinking about my objections again I've enjoyed yeah, parts right. of it I like how Jeb Blount writes I much preferred it to some of the other books. But, you know, it, it, it's, I, I set my stall and say, what's my favourite book I've read? And then everybody else has got to go and beat it. And whilst I'm not saying it's the most brilliant, you know what I'm going to say? I've preferred The Wolf of Wall Street. I know you did. Jordan Although I've started reading the next book. I mean, we don't have a copy. I don't have a copy of it here. With all we're doing the next week, I've got to tell you, it's a blinder. Good. It's called... We must have a copy in the office I've here, not. Lauren. I'll, I'll, just, I'll stand up and knock all Lauren's kit over. Knock the mic off. Uh, it's what's it called, please, Lauren? Sales Leadership by Keith Rosen. I tell you how much I like it. I was with a client yesterday. I got it out of a bag, showed it to him. He went to grab it. I went, no, you can't have it. it. It's my copy. It's my copy, but you should buy it. I, yep. it's, I think it's thus far 
I, I, you know, you were waxing lyrical about it at quarter past seven this morning. Absolutely superb, I think. Right, I'm really looking forward to it. I, so, what you did say was it was quite dense and content. I think it, I think it's a, I think it's a chapter a week. I think so it's going to be. More. And how many chapters have we got? Uh, I've done three chapters in fifty-six pages. The first two chapters are quite big, though. The third chapter isn't that long. Right, but we, but right now we're looking at chapter one of Sales Leadership by Keith Rosen. It's going to be next week. At some point, Keith will actually be joining us on in the show. In real life. In real life, via Skype, as a guest. Um, how we'll do that, I think we'll have to wear headphones and Lauren's going to work out the technicalities. But he will be joining us live on the show. Um, actually, probably for the next five or six books, we've actually got a number of authors lined up who are going to be joining us. So spread the word about what you're watching. Um, we'll see you next week for Sales Leadership by Keith Rosen. Um, and I'd just like to say thanks for Jeb. Blount, uh, it's been a good book. It's been emotional. Maybe we'll do another one of yours. If you want to come on the show, uh, let us know. But in the meantime, next week, get ready for Sales Leadership by Keith Rosen. And we'll see you there at the same time. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.